Welcome to the Christchurch Manchester Theology Podcast. The CCM School of Theology meets monthly on Saturday mornings at Luther King House in Manchester. For more information about the training that we offer or about our church in Manchester, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. On Saturday 23rd of January, Tom O'Toole taught two sessions at the Christchurch Manchester School of Theology. This is the second of those sessions, where Tom taught us about the Trinity. Tom is one of the leaders at Christchurch Manchester and a regular teacher at School of Theology. Let's take a listen to the session. Let's jump into our second session then. Um, uh, let, let me just kick off with a question, uh, just to ponder for uh, a few seconds before we start. And it's this, what, what was God doing before the creation of the world? What was God doing before the creation of the world? It, as we ponder that question, we will come into some interesting thoughts about the nature of God. Like we could imagine God was there bored, nothing to do, nobody to interact with, nobody to love. We could imagine God maybe wasn't bored, but was just there and self-satisfied. Well, well, we'll come to the answer shortly. But often when we engage in conversations about God, we can easily take it for granted that everybody means the same thing when they say God. We'll have a conversation with a person on the street. We, we might talk about God. They might talk about God. And we might mean completely different things to what they mean. It's, it's really important that when we start talking about God, we ask, well, which God are we talking about? Who do we mean? when we talk about God. There's as many different ideas of God as there are different groups of people, different religions, different sects, different cultures. And not just to ask, what do we mean by God? But is it the real God? Is it, are we actually talking about God as he is? Or is this an imagined notion of God? It would be wrong to say that people of different faiths worship the same God. If I describe the God of the Bible to um, for example, a Muslim, they would say, no, that's not who I worship at all. And the Bible isn't vague about God. It doesn't just give us a, a nebulous idea of, oh, well, there is some kind of thing that is called God that we just bolt a few positive characteristics on. Oh, this God is kind and powerful. But the Bible reveals that God is the Father, God is the Son, and God is the Holy Spirit loving one another and that's what we call the trinity and that's what we're talking about today now when i say we're talking about the trinity i wonder what emotions arise in you um it can be different for different people for some it can be a kind of intellectual curiosity like head scratching okay this is something to to wrap my mind around perhaps for some it's the opposite they think no that's just kind of a silly head knowledge that's pretty irrelevant and I don't need it. For some, it's boredom. And then there are problems that we can have. And I've, I've noted a few down uh, on the notes that you see that, that make people put off the idea of looking at the Trinity. And one of the problems is sometimes people just say silly things. Like I've heard people say, we, well, we shouldn't really talk about the Trinity because Trinity isn't in the Bible. And in a sense, they're right. The word of Trinity 
doesn't appear in the Bible, but then nor does the word incarnation, nor does the word Bible. And we, we talk about these things. It doesn't matter whether the word is in the Bible. What matters is, is there a set of truths that this word is referring to? Is that in the Bible or not? Is the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the relationships between them, is that in the Bible? The answer is yes. Another problem is the illustrations that people use to explain it are frankly ludicrous sometimes. So, uh, have you ever heard anyone try to tell you that God is like an egg? And there's like the yolk and the white and the shell and it's one egg. And hey, if, if you're trying to persuade people that God is like an egg, then something seems wrong. God is nothing like an egg. People talk about the Trinity being like water, like the, the different forms. Now, that's actually more an illustration of a heresy than a true understanding of the Trinity. And um, same with the idea of a shamrock, the three leaves. Like they don't work, but also... They trivialize, they make it seem somehow small and a bit silly. Um, another one that I've noted down is unfamiliar language. We talk about one God and three persons. And even this idea of, we don't use the word persons in any other setting, really. So what do we mean by it, the one God and the three persons? We, we tend to think even in terms of people, and it'd be a bit weird to talk about God as like three people, but just the word persons makes it seem a little bit more alien um also can we negatively define it often when we're talking about the trinity we we say all the things it isn't well it doesn't mean this and it doesn't mean that and it doesn't mean that and we we don't focus on what it is and we start i think from the wrong place and um i think the starting point we often use is aristotle when they kind of greet version of God. Like I said a little while ago, the Bible doesn't have a kind of vague, nebulous idea of God. But that's certainly what the, the Greeks had. And I put a quote from Aristotle on the notes. Um, it goes like this. God is a living being, eternal, most good, so that life and duration, continuous and eternal, belong to God. For this is God. It's clear then from what has been said that there is a substance which is eternal and immovable and separate from sensible things, sensible as in that you can sense, um, it has been shown all has been shown also that this substance cannot have any magnitude, but is without parts and indivisible. But it also has been shown that it is impassive and unalterable. Now, I bet a lot of Christians would sign up for that kind of definition of God. But if our definition of God comes down to that there is a substance, there's this substance that is somehow called God, then that's an odd starting point. Because if you've got this substance, then you really scratch your brain to think, how can, if there's this one substance, how can it be three? How can God be three if God is this? I think a much better starting point is scripture. Uh, and in scripture, we see God revealed as father, we see God revealed as son, and we see God revealed as Holy Spirit. So I think a much better question to ask, is, rather than there's this substance, how can God be three, is God is father, son, and Holy Spirit, so how is God one? What does it mean for God to be one if God is father, son, 
and Holy Spirit. Well, um, what, one of the verses that uh, we'd start with in talking about God as one is Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, um, which we'll read uh, now. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So that's the verse that says that God is one. Now, the context of this verse is uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, which is talking uh, about the people of Israel needing to keep God's commands in covenant loyalty. It's about covenant. It's about loyalty. So I just want you to imagine a, a situation in your church and imagine your, uh, your pastor gets up or your church leader, whoever that may be, and they, they say to you, um, hey, we've got this thing that we all want to step out in together. We all want to do this thing. I'm casting some vision. Let's all do it. And their rationale for it is, I want you to do this because I am one person. It would make no sense. Now imagine it's not just a pastor. Imagine it's an eldership team. Imagine it's a, a group of leaders who cast some vision, who, who get up and say, this is what we all want to do. And we call you to do this because we are one. You can use the word oneness in a very different sense. The word one used in Deuteronomy chapter six is the same word one used in Genesis chapter two, verse 24, where Adam and Eve are one flesh. It's the same idea as in the John 17 verses that we read in the high priestly prayer where Jesus is praying for the church. And his prayer is the glory that you have given me I have given to them that they may be one, even as we are one. He sees the oneness of the Father and the Son as a parallel to the oneness that the church would ideally have. And in these images, the, the Genesis one, the John one, what we're talking is family, togetherness, unity of, of persons united. And when we talk about the oneness of God, that's what we mean. We're not talking that God is one necessarily in a mathematical sense. We're not saying one plus one plus one equals one. We're saying God is one relationally. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The tightness of the loving relationships is what gives God his oneness. So what I want you to do in breakout rooms is just have a look at some verses from John's Gospel. Some of the ones that we put a pin in earlier we're not going to start with aristotle's idea of god or uh, the god uh, concept that might be another faith we'll start with what the gospels say and we'll look at what's the interaction between the father and the son to help us understand something of the nature of god so what i want you to do is you've got the list of verses on your notes there's six passages there i'd like you to have a read of all of those passages and just from them reflect on what you learn from those verses about the relationship between God the Father and between God the Son. I wonder what you spotted from those verses you read about the Father and the Son. Um, it certainly doesn't seem to be taking a substance and splitting it. But what, what I see in those verses is a father who, who loves his son, who's always loved his son, who initiates, who directs, who who brings honour upon his son. And I see a son who respects the father, who loves the father, who obeys the father, 
and who returns. And in some ways, it reminds me of like an old family business. You know, you see like a, a butcher's shop, like someone and son. And some of the verses uh, kind of remind me of something of that, like the son uh, does what he sees the father doing. He learns from the father. Whatever the father does, the son does likewise. You see a particular shape to the relationship the father's the initiator the son is the accomplisher that's how it is in salvation isn't it the father initiated he had the plan and the son is the one who came and accomplished it in creation as well the world was created by the son the father created but by the son you, you, you're starting to see a shape take place here in the trinity um well also we need to talk about the holy spirit of course the trinity isn't just the father and the Son, but Father, Son, and Spirit. And I've noted a few verses down. Let me just read them uh, now for you. So the first one, John 14, verses 16 and 17. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth. Well, John 14, 26, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and Bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. John 16, verse 7. I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Or John 16, verses 13 to 15. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will speak not on his own authority, but whatever he hears he will speak. He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. I don't know what you noticed uh, from those verses. One of the striking things is that Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as he. When we talk about the Holy Spirit, we're not thinking about some impersonal force that we'd use the word it to describe, but the Holy Spirit is a person like the Father and like the Son. We describe him as he. We see elsewhere in the scriptures that the Holy Spirit can be lied to. The Holy Spirit can be grieved. So uh, we've seen another divine person here. And if, if we saw earlier that the Father initiates and the Son accomplishes, the Spirit's role really is he, he's the life giver. He's the beautifier. He, he, he adds life and beauty to what God is doing. The essence of the Trinity is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in loving relationships with each other. All three people are important to who God is. God wouldn't be God without the Holy Spirit. God wouldn't be God without the Son. God wouldn't be God without the Father. All three persons are fundamental to who God is. But also, God wouldn't be who God is without the relationships between the three. It's not just there are these persons who are sort of independent, but no, no, it's one God, and it's the relationships, and it's the, the persons who make up the one God. So we've got three persons so close in love and purpose in relationship that you say they're one. That's God. That's the Trinity. And understanding the Trinity in this way, it kind of gives a breath of fresh air as you read through the story of the Bible. I just want to kind of 
take you through the story of uh, the history of the world and from before uh, the world even uh, and just kind of notice things in light of what we see of the Trinity. So I started off with the question, what was God doing before he made the world? And I think someone's picked up on it in the chat as well with um, uh, asking, uh, does in the beginning in Genesis 1 and John mean that nothing was going on before that beginning? And, uh, and if not, do we know anything about what was going on before that beginning? Um, well, we could look at John chapter 17 um, for some insight into that. Um, so Jesus in his prayer uh, verse 5, he prays, and now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world existed. Well, verse 24, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you have loved me since before the foundation of the world what was god doing before the the foundation of the world he he was loving himself the father was loving the son the son was loving the father they were both loving the spirit they were sharing glory together god has always existed in love in relationship it's the relationship of the trinity god has always been outward looking pouring himself out for the other persons giving glory giving honor giving love to the other persons this is uh, in, in contrast isn't it to any ideas of god kind of that he's just kind of this blob of substance that there's uh, nothing or nobody to interact with it's that's kind of a very uh, insular inward looking thing all that exists is self but in god all that exists is the the other persons and the giving and the outward sacrificing that's how god is and so in, in creation why did god create the world well it certainly wasn't loneliness it wasn't that God needed a, an external object to love in order for him to be loving, because God already was loving the persons of the Trinity. God didn't need creation to be relational. No, no, he, he was already relational. He didn't need creation in order to be a father, because the father was already the, the father. To the, so no, it, it's an overflow of love. God has always existed in love. We're told in 1 John chapter 4, they say that, that God is love. And that outward giving, loving community of God naturally wants to share that love even further. And in, and in creation, we see in Genesis uh, 1 verses 26 and 27, he says, let us, us, make man in our image. You notice the plurality of the language there. Let us make God in our image after our likeness. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. I wonder if you notice, like, in elaborating on the image of God, the first thing it goes to is male and female. It's pointing out a relationality. We're made, God, who's the relational God, in himself and then with his creation, has made us in his image to be relational beings as well. And so you could think of it this way, for, for all of eternity past, there's been a community of three persons, of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But then when God created Adam, in a sense you'd say now, there's a community of four persons, there's the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and Adam are in relationship with each other, a community 
has grown and then Eve is created and there's a community of five. Then God gives the cultural mandate in Genesis 1 verse 28, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. So, so this community of three or four or five, God said, right, Adam and Eve, it's on you now. Let's make it six. Let's make it seven. Let's make it a hundred, a million, seven billion, a trillion. In perfect, loving, harmonious community with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's like the Trinity is, uh, is kind of spreading, not in the sense of like we, we are God, but in the sense of we're brought into relationship with God, which is what the heart of God is community spreading god's end game is a huge global community in loving relationships centered on himself reflecting the relationships in himself father son and spirit mirroring the relationships he's always enjoyed in himself this is god's mission we see when god's mission is stated in scripture it's kind of variance on this theme isn't it talking to abraham about you'll be a blessing to all the nations Israel called a, a light to the Gentiles. Jesus telling his disciples, make disciples of all nations. We're going to the ends of the earth. That's how it's always been. God is so into community as part of who he is. He, he's never gone for this idea of let's just confine blessedness to a certain area and exclude it. He, he's wanting to expand. He's wanting to take the relationships in the community out. That's reflected in the nature of who he is. Let's think about the fall for a second and let's ask the question, was Satan right? In Genesis 3, 5, Satan said, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. He's making the claim that uh, when you disobey God, when you take an authority to yourself, when you, you step out of relationship, but into power, autonomy, uh, decision making, um, kind of independence when you do that you will be like god that's what satan said was he right and the answer is no he was wrong he's a liar he's always been a liar because if the most foundational thing about god is this loving community of the trinity then before the fall they were already like god they were in relationship they were in community and in the fall, the relationship was broken. They didn't become like God. They became more like Satan, less like God. Think about the life of Jesus. The way he challenged relationlessness. People who were on the margins, who were excluded, and how he looked to, to draw them in. Lepers, Samaritan women, children. Or, or think about those that he challenged, who he spoke harsh words to. It was often to do with this, wasn't it? The exclusion rather than inclusion in relationships in Matthew 23 verse 4 of the Pharisees he said they tie up heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on people's shoulders but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger think about uh what, what we saw in John how he washed his disciples feet how he was willing to serve it it, it wasn't a, a sense of having to take the highest place it was a sense of being willing to enter into community and lay down his own good, his own desires and preferences for others. That's what he's been doing for all eternity in the Trinity with the Father and the Spirit, and now doing the same thing with his disciples. And when he was asked questions that seemed predicated on power, who will sit at the right and the left, those questions seem so out of place. 
with the, with the nature of what's going on in the Gospels. And think about what's happening on the cross. In the context of a verse like Habakkuk 1.13, talking of the Father, you who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. And then Mark chapter 15, verse 34, at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And there's, there's a sense of the father-son relationship that we've read about that for all eternity has been so tight. On the cross, uh, the father's relationship to the son has turned into a relationship of, of wrath, a relationship of judgment. It's like this, in, in a sense, this relationship of the Trinity is like torn asunder on the cross, this eternal glorious thing that was broken on the cross for us when we hear about the the shepherd who leaves the 99 and goes after the one this is the cost we're talking about the length he's gone for you and me and in it the symbolism of that curtain in the temple being torn it's saying come home this relationship that you were made for that it's always been about you can come home the relationship can be restored about the christian life for a second and uh just kind of want to uh throw in a word just to to mull uh which i put on the notes deification and some of the church fathers uh from uh the fourth century who really got the trinity and who really uh, taught on it a lot would use this word uh in talking about the christian life deification and it's a word we don't often use and i think at first glance it sounds potentially like a blasphemous word like um, as though we're saying christians become god or become gods like we're lots of little gods running around but i, I think we're perhaps mistaken in uh, seeing it in that light and the the way we're mistaken again is in the understanding of of who god is and what god is like and what it means to become like god becoming like god isn't about having a certain power it's not about having a certain authority, because if the essence of God is relationship and we're drawn into that relationship, we're sharing what God is like. And, and that's what they're talking about with this idea of deification, being drawn into the relational life of God. God is community and we're participating in the community life of God. That's the, um, the, the part of the high priestly prayer I read earlier, isn't it? I do not ask for these only but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory you have given me, I've given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know you've sent me and loved them, even as you've loved me we get to participate and share in these trinitarian relationships and then finally think about mission and just that reminder uh, of that cultural mandate be fruitful and multiply the idea uh, was that the garden with just a few people uh, would, would spread and become a glorious garden city that we see at the end of the bible and that mission is still the mission before us today jesus said uh, Matthew 28 verses 18 to 20. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. It's the same deal, the garden to the city, a global community full of people in relationship with each other and with God. We're looking, going from the Trinity to the Trinity plus Adam plus Eve plus a few more to the New Jerusalem, described in Revelation as a cube, 1,380 miles long and wide and high. We talk about the Trinity and you see the story in the slide. Let's just kind of, before we wrap up, just pick out a few implications of it as well. Um, first one I've put is your relationship with God is unique. And what I mean by this is when we reflect on the Trinity, we notice that the relationship that the Father has with the Son is not quite the same as the relationship the Father has with the Spirit or that the Son has with the Spirit. The relationships reflect the persons. And so it is with us as we're drawn into these relationships that the relationship we have with God will, uh, there'll be a lot in common between all of our relationships with God because there's lots that God brings to the table. But also the relationship is based on what we bring to the table as well. And it will fit for you. The, the relationship that I have with God, there'll be uh, ways that God meets with me, that God speaks to me, that God works in my life that fit with who I am, that might not fit quite the same way with who you are. And God, like, like um, I think about my own uh, father in relationship with my two kids. I, I love them both and I don't um, treat them unfairly, but I know that their personality is different. So the relationship is formed around that. So it is with God and us. And, uh, and therefore, following on from that, we could say that your story is very powerful. Your story is of a unique relationship with God. And it's so uh, glorious, isn't it, to hear the testimonies that people tell and the stories of what God's doing and how God's working in their lives. And another implication to draw out, the key to life is not power, but relationships. It's not um, trying to accumulate might or trying to get yourself into a certain position that you aspire to, but it's who can you, you run the race with? Who can you serve? Who can you give yourself to? I was, I was recently uh, listening to Andy McCulloch teaching on the life of Barnabas, and he just kind of drew out the quality in Barnabas's life of loyalty and uh, was provoking people that uh, often we can have choices where we can be loyal to our friend or we can get ahead and the godly way is loyalty and um, that, that's something that, that we should realize is key to the heart of who God is not just accumulating power and position but loyalty and love and sacrifice also we can talk about worship is about presence and about participation um, when we worship, we're, we're relating to God. We're relating to the Father. We're relating to the Son and relating to the Spirit. And I think a view of worship as, oh, I'm going to bring an offering is, yeah, there, there's an element of that. But, but more is my, my heart is connecting and enjoying and reveling in these relationships. Embrace unity, but we reject uniformity. The Father, the Son, and the spirit are perfectly united but there's a, a diversity in unity and um, as believers we we're not meant to be all the same there's a place for different personalities for different cultures for different backgrounds and 
that's a good thing. And, and yet we're united. We're about the same thing and we're sharing in the same love. And it's a challenge, isn't it, to our individualism. So much of Western culture has the individual as the, the kind of central unit of society. It's about what I want and my life and fighting for my rights. And I, I think that stands in, in contrast, really, to the, the biblical thrust of uh, community and, and sacrifice. And uh, it's, it challenges me and I think it challenges many of us. And then just finally, uh, to share with you a, a few things, I've put our church DNA. Now, the way we talk about it uh, at Christchurch Manchester, we use three words, devotion, community and mission uh, in terms of what our church is all about. Um, other churches, your church uh, might use different words. I think many churches talk about the same ideas, though. Devotion, we talk about loving God, community, loving each other and mission, loving the world around us. You might have had it as up, in, out. There are different ways of expressing this, but really kind of this is what churches are about, isn't it? And just to show that we didn't make this up, but this all stems from this Trinitarian stuff. I just want to share another verse from John's Gospel on each of these. So uh, on devotion, John 17, verse 4 and 5, Jesus prays, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world existed. Glorify in the Father and glorify in the Son. Or, or on community, I've, I've read this verse a couple of times already, but uh, once more uh, for, for emphasis, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you that they also may be in us. Jesus is praying for us that we will be one. And that oneness is compared to the oneness of the Father and the Son. And then mission, John 17, verse 18, Jesus prays as you've sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. We have this mandate to grow this community, to tell others the good news and see them in relationship with God and in relationship with God's people. Everything starts with God. We don't make this stuff up, but it all flows out of who he is. And he is Trinity. He's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, loving each other for all of eternity past and for all of eternity to come, and expanding that community of relationships and love to include people like you and like me. I'm going to leave it there. I've noted down a few further resources. I want to particularly highlight that Mike Reeves book, The Good God, absolutely the best thing I've ever read and seen on the Trinity. If you want to go deeper, I'd, I'd suggest that would be a good place to start. Um, I, I don't see any questions through on this session. Andy, I'm going to hand back over to you. I don't know if you want to um, yeah. kind of wrap up from here. Great. Yeah, I think we'll we'll wrap up. Yeah, I just want to echo what Tom said. The, the, the book Good God by Mike Reeves is a fantastic book. Also, it's not a very thick book either, okay? So that's, I, I like books that aren't too thick and it's not, but he, he packs a lot of great information about the Trinity into a pretty small book. So yeah, really do recommend that to you. Thank you so much, um, Tom, for um, joining us uh, today and teaching us, yeah, showing us the, the beauty of the Trinity and just the, the depth of the, the mystery of what there is to the, to the Trinity. So, um, yeah, we've got lots of, lots of people in the chat saying, thank you, Tom, great session. Um, really hope you've, you've got lots from this. 